The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. die the same way. What makes the difference is how a man has lived, what he has done, what his actions have been. What our actions have been. Whether we had the courage to take responsibility for our actions and bring those before the throne of God and ask him to change us, to make us into his own image. There are some who would say, every thinking man is an atheist. I want to say, Every atheist is a fool, for he has not spent any time thinking. God has revealed himself in mighty power. We know who God is. He revealed himself on the cross of Calvary. It's very clear who God is. The question is, 
Who am I? And who are you? These questions become very apparent as we look in the book of Revelation at the third chapter. I want to unfold for you what the Holy Spirit has unfolded for me. It will not be easy. I'm warning you now. You may become very angry and very defensive. Frankly, I have to tell you that my first response was to be defensive. That seems to often be my default position. I renounce it. I will not have it. We must have the courage to face reality as it is and then to take very specific and concrete actions in order to change the outcome of our lives. The outcome I desire of my life and the outcome I desire for your life is to be welcomed into the throne room of God with well done, good and faithful servant. My greatest desire is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And if I am faithful to Jesus Christ, there is no room in my life for defensiveness. It is foolishness. I'm not somebody. I don't need to become somebody. Jesus is somebody. He is the King of kings, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is everything. And any thinking man will recognize that and humble their hearts before him. There are seven churches written about or written to by Jesus, the risen Lord. Now, historically, these seven churches have been looked at in two different ways. One, simply separate letters at separate churches, but they all apply to every church. And it is true I can gain much by going to each of these seven churches and carefully looking at the word Jesus gave them. However, many biblical scholars have held that they also represent seven ages and that the church of Laodicea is the final church before the day of the Lord. So I take that message personally, and I say the letter to the messenger of the church in Laodicea or the letter to the the pastor of the church in Laodicea is a very direct message from Jesus to me. He said, I know your works. This is Jesus. He is speaking as the true witness, as the amen. As the beginner or beginning of the creation of God. He is the creator God. John, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter. Hebrews, the first chapter. All describe Jesus as the creator God. That all things were made for him and by him. And without him, nothing exists. So he begins by saying in Revelation, the third chapter, verse 15, I know your works. Well, welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that this message from the Holy Spirit will accomplish its work in your heart and that it will result in much growth in the Spirit and healing 
in your heart. Jesus opens this message by saying, I know your works. That is, I know your employment. I know where you go to accomplish the work that is necessary to earn your money, to earn your livelihood. I know what you do. I know who you are. That you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Well, I don't like that. I don't like it even a little bit. But now I'm faced with a question, and this question is going to walk with us all the way through this message to Laodicea. And that question is, even if I don't feel or think or understand or experience what Jesus is saying I am, because he says it, will I accept it as the truth? And will I take the appropriate medication to resolve the issue in my body and my heart and my life and my mind? Jesus never rebukes without giving an answer for how it can be transformed and changed and healed because he is our healer. He is the one who loves us. He says, I know where you go to work. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. He's saying this describes his church at the end of time. Now, you know, if you've listened to this broadcast for very long, that no Christian goes to work for money that we are called as fishers of men and our work is the work of the gospel. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. (laughs) That is all these things that pagans go after. Housing, transportation, clothing, food. Jesus said, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, my innocence, and all of these things will be provided for you. So when you go to that place you call your J-O-B, you're not going there to earn money. You're going there as a witness and a testimony for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in that place that you have a harvest to win for the kingdom. But today, we have believed in America that every man should make a lot of money, should have a lifestyle, a lifestyle that is acceptable and lauded by the world. We have literally become slaves to the world and to the world system. And we train our children from very early, sending them off to every school where they will be taught how to be pagans. Colleges and universities are by and large today centers of reindoctrination that destroy righteousness or holiness, that rip away from a child the moorings that are not very strong from his childhood. And he becomes a party animal. He says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out or vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to include you in my kingdom if you are simply going along to get along. If you're going to the job to make money, 
You're lukewarm. Well, pastor, if I talked about Jesus there, they'd fire me. Okay. Do you serve the job or do you serve Jesus? No, I'm not saying go there and not work with excellence. Daniel was marked by excellence in every way in the wicked Babylonian kingdom, Medo-Persian kingdom. He was recognized as being faultless in his work. But he was a strong testimony for the God of heaven. Now watch. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and I need nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says that that's who we are in the modern church. Lukewarm. Where are the people you have won to Jesus? Where's the fruit of your life? Where's the testimony that that you serve Jesus Christ? I don't mean some self-righteous Bible-bopping testimony. I mean a testimony with love and compassion and mercy, pouring out your heart for the good of others, pouring out your heart and love to draw them to Jesus. You don't have that fruit. You don't do the things that Jesus did and even greater things. Well, I don't either. I'm also being told I'm lukewarm. And Jesus is saying, you have to change. Well, let's talk about the descriptor words he's used of us and see if they fit. He said, I know that you're wretched. Well, what does the word wretched mean? It means exhausted. It means labor-worn and weary. One man, I asked him, how are you? He said, oh, pastor, I'm tired. I'm, I'm weary. My work is so hard. He's exhausted. He's wretched. But he thinks that's normal. He thinks that's the price he has to pay to make the money, to take care of the family. He doesn't do the job because he loves it. He doesn't do the job so he can win men and women to Jesus. He does the job for money, but he calls himself a Christian. And he's exhausted. He's lukewarm. He is utterly displeasing to Jesus. Miserable. That Greek word literally means to be pitied, to be pitiable. And God looks at us and he sees how exhausted we are, how worn out we are. And he sees us as being objects of great pity. He feels sorry for us. Well, I don't know about you, but it's not a character trait of a man to try to make himself appear pitiable unless he's a beggar on the street. And then he can make himself look really pitiable and everybody will give him more money that way. You don't know that you're wretched, miserable, and poor. Poor? There are several words you can use in the Greek for poor. This particular Greek word simply means totally with nothing, with no money, totally broke, and no ability to gain any more. You've tried as hard as you can, and you just can't do it. You're exhausted. You're, you're beat up. You're sick. Your body hurts. 
You're miserable. Complaints flow from your mouth. You're blind. You can't see your way clear. You don't know what you're doing, although... See, in our culture, we, we're entrepreneurs. We can always make a go of it. And some of you are making great money. You've got everything covered. You have a wonderful lifestyle. But then you're naked. Jesus says, the king doesn't have any clothes on. And you don't know that about yourself, but everybody else does. They see the way you live. They see the way you talk. They see the way you are filled with arrogance and pride and and falseness. This is how Jesus is describing the modern church in America. He's saying, this is who you are. Exhausted. Tired out. Worn out. Miserable. Pitiable. Broke. Blind. Naked. But he says the wild part is that you don't know that's your condition. You have sufficiently worked. You have sufficient resources. You have enough entertainment. You have enough shows to watch. You have enough professional sports to feast on. You have enough positive feedback at your job that you think you're cool. You think everything's going okay. Once in a while, it will dawn on you how tired you are. And you'll say, I better take a vacation now. Have you ever taken a vacation and come back more tired than when you left? I have. Because we tried to jam everything into our vacation. I was exhausted when I came back. I had to come home and rest from the vacation. Well, it was at least a change. Okay, yeah, it was a change. See, the problem is Jesus looks at us and he says, this is the condition of your heart that I see. But that's not the condition of your heart that you see. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I need. I'm doing well. I'm good to go. But Jesus looks at you and he says, you're so broke and so poor and so pitiable. You are so worn out. You're not going to make it, lad. After you have all of the money and after you have all of the stuff and after you've had all of the women, after you've played with all of the men, What do you have left? I was talking with a dear one, and they were telling me about a woman who had been the Marilyn Monroe. The red fingernails and the sleek look and the the blonde hair and the, the whole deal put together. And today she's broke. Her husband's gone. She has nothing. She begs for money from her family. Oh, how poor I am, how poor I am. Finally, it has dawned on her the true condition of her heart that has been true all of her life. It never soaked into her. She never realized how God was looking at her, and finally she's beginning to feel her misery. She's beginning to see her poverty. She's blind, and she's naked, and she's finally beginning to see, and she's bitter, angry. (laughs) 
How is it with you? What are you going to do with this description? You know, I've, I've followed a very simple principle through the years. It has helped me grow up. It has helped me become a man. It has helped me to become responsible. After all, that for me is the definition of a man. He's someone who takes responsibility for his actions. He doesn't blame others. He doesn't attack others. He takes responsibility for what happens. The principle that I have learned to abide by is to listen carefully to what Jesus says I am, what he says my sin is, and then come into agreement with Jesus about that. So that if I do something that is wrong, and I'm not even conscious of it, but when I discover it, I take responsibility for it. I don't offer any excuses. I don't pretend it's not true. I just take responsibility for it and say, yes, I did that. I am that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. What restitution do I need to make in this case? So if the Lord says to me, you're not pleasing to me, and I can tell you Jesus is saying to the modern American church, you are not pleasing to me. I am angry with you. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And then he tells us why. You're worn out. You're exhausted. You have no energy to serve me. You're miserable. I pity you. You're utterly broke morally, financially. You don't know it, though. You think everything's going fine. You're blind. You're naked. And then he begins giving us some very specific advice. But before we take that advice, are you willing to accept that you are a wretched person? Now, I'll tell you what happened in my heart. When he said that to me, I I began to stand up on my hind legs and say, well, yeah, okay, I'm a little wretched here and there, but I'm not a wretched man. And very quickly, I knew I was headed down the wrong track with the Lord. If he says I'm wretched, I'm wretched. If he says I'm pitiable, I am pitiable. If he says that I'm poor, I am broke. If he says that I'm blind, I'm blind. If he says I'm naked, I'm bare naked. So I had to own those things and say, yes, okay. I'm not going to protest. I'm going to say, yes, Jesus. All of those things are true about me. Now, that absolutely crushes my pride. It destroys my self-confidence and my self-esteem. And then he says, okay, now, buy from me gold, having been refined by fire. Okay, Ray, buy gold. And we've talked about this. It's faith. It may also be physical gold. That you may be rich. And white garments, that you may clothe yourself. Revelation uh, 19 talks about the clothes being white linen as being the righteous actions of the saints. So in other words, he's saying, look, you're going to have to You're going to have to begin to walk by faith. Do things that you think will destroy you, but he's calling you to do it. And you're going to have to begin to change the way you behave. The habits, the way you watch the television, the way you sit in front of the 
professional sports and the way you hunger after those things that are the lust of your heart and the pride of your life. You're going to have to change all of that. And then he says, you're going to have to rub the eye salve on your eyes so you can see. Well, okay. My question then is, how do we begin to buy the gold? How do we then begin to clothe ourselves with new actions? How do we then begin to rub the eye salve of the Holy Spirit on our eyes that we could see? Verse 19 gives us the answer, and this is the very heart of the message today. All those whom I may love, I convict and instruct The word love here is not agape. It is not self-sacrificing love. It is phileo. It is the... No, it is the love of friendship. It is the love of friendship. So Jesus is saying, look, in your condition, I still love you. But if you don't change, I'm going to I'm going to leave you. And then he says, I convict and instruct. Read carefully Hebrews the 12th chapter. I convict and instruct Well, I have to be honest with you and say, I have a great deal of intellectual conviction. I do not have, I do not have very much emotional conviction. Because it says you must be zealous. You must be filled with emotion. You must be filled with feelings. This has to become real to you. It's not an intellectual thing I'm speaking about to you. It's an experience I'm speaking to you about. And you must repent. Okay. Three things he's talking about. First, I convict. Well, how is he going to begin to convict me? He will only begin to convict me if I do one thing. I must go and admit that what he has said about me is true. And then I have to take the next step and say, now, would you please make this real to me? Would you convict me that I am exhausted in human flesh? I am pitiable in my human flesh. I am I am lukewarm. I'm naked. I can't cover myself anymore. Oh, some of you are doing a great job of covering yourself in your worldly behaviors, in your defensiveness, in your arguments. He's saying, no. No, I see who you really are. Will you admit the truth of who you really are? And will you begin to cry out and ask for conviction? Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I have read countless revival stories. I have studied the first, second, and third, if I could call it that, great awakenings. In every one of these, there is one key mark, and that is deep conviction. Deep Conviction, heart-rending conviction. And secondly, very clear instruction about what I must do to be brought into Jesus Christ. Now, I preach holiness I preach righteousness. 
I come day by day on this radio broadcast and call you to lay your life down for Jesus. But I am still so far from what Jesus wants. And I'm saying, Lord, would you please convict me of what you need to do to give me rest? Would you please convict me of what you want to do to take away my pitiableness? Will you do with conviction, what you need to do in me to take away my poverty and my blindness and my nakedness. Lord, convict my heart. And I'm crying out to God. Will you convict me? My wife and I are crying out to God and saying, Would you convict us? And would you instruct us? So you must be zealous and must repent with intense emotion. We must repent. See, repentance is a total change of behavior. It's a total change in direction. And most of us will repent for a behavior or an action that we think is wrong, that we've been convicted is wrong, but there will be no tears. For the most part, there will be no tears. It's, I repent, okay, please change me. I won't do that again, at least not until the next time. That's not repentance. We need the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, you're wrong, and this must change. And the only way it can change is for you to die to yourself. You must die to you. And when you have died to you, you will be a changed man or woman. We'll put up with those pesky things in our heart that we don't like, but we're human. God will have to accept me the way I am. The sinning Christian, oh, you can't ever leave your sin. The blood of Jesus doesn't have the power to wash away and kill that old man. You're always going to walk in sin, even though you don't know it, you're walking in sin. Of course, that's not biblical. Sin is always a conscious choice. It's a rebellion we've chosen to engage in. We must be convicted, and most of you have never experienced any true conviction of your sin because you have never wept over it. You have never felt the anguish and the pain that your sin has caused another or your sin has caused the heart of Jesus. You just slid through. And sliding through, there is no clear instruction and there is no clear repentance in your heart. Some of you walk in constant fear. Fear is to expect punishment. To expect punishment is to know you're unworthy before God because you have never prayed through and had the deep conviction come upon your heart that you must stop walking in fear and depression, that instead Jesus will heal you and restore you and make you a bold and healthy testimony to his glorious power and to his glorious cross. You put up with your wretchedness. Some of you live an invalid life, shut away because you have no courage. You've never allowed the Holy Spirit to truly convict you and walk you through this sinful anguish of your heart. Instead, you've 
pushed it down and said, oh, the old man's there and he keeps rising up, but I'll, I'll make it. I just keep trying. I'll, I'll trust Jesus. No, that's not how you're going to get through this deal. You're going to only get through this deal by crucifixion. Read again, please, Romans 6. You must be zealous. There must be intense emotion involved. Why, Pastor? Because the human heart does not change without emotion on the most part. Now, we can see that something is to our advantage, and instantly we can change. Oh, that's cheaper. I'll buy that. Or there's a better opportunity there. I'll go take that opportunity. Thank you very much. Or yes, I'll have that. I'll have that apple pie and not the cherry pie or not the whatever our preference is. I like the cherry pie and the lemon pie, but that's okay. I, I'll take apple. There's no intense emotion involved. It's trivial to us. Our sin is trivial to us. Our lukewarmness is trivial to us. One woman cried out and she said, I will not live lukewarm. I agree. And then we continue living lukewarm. How do we change it? By crying out to the Lord and asking him to give to us conviction regarding those issues of our lives. You're tired? You're exhausted? Cry out to Jesus about that exhaustion and ask him to forgive you for how you have lusted after the world, after money, after what you thought would bring you security. It won't bring you security. You'll just die early. Everything you need. Now listen to me carefully and don't argue with me. I'm speaking the truth of the gospel. Everything you need is found in Jesus Christ. Everything you need for life is found in Jesus Christ. Repayment of debt is found in Jesus Christ. Love is found in Jesus Christ. That wife, that husband, they are found in Jesus. The healing of the sickness of your body is found in only one place. It is found in Jesus. But you're going to have to cry out for conviction because you've put up with this and you've been, you've been willing to walk through it and even suffer and be wretched. Because you would rather be wretched than humble your heart and let Jesus be in charge of your life. Now, we come to this precious portion. Listen. In other words, after you've given all of your commotion about, no, I'm not wretched. No, I'm not poor. No, I'm not naked. No, I'm no, 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 no. That's not me, pastor. Yes, it is. It's you. It's me. Then he says, okay, be quiet. Listen. Listen. I've stood at the door and I'm knocking. Jesus is standing at your door. He is standing at the entrance to your life. He is standing at your door. And he's been there for a long time. And the scriptures say, he's knocking. If anyone may hear my voice and may open the door, well, you can't, hear him knocking if you are deaf, if you are blind, if you are miserable, if you are wretched, you will not hear that gentle knocking. But if you hear that gentle knocking, 
You must open the door to Jesus. How do you open the door to Jesus? By agreeing with Jesus about who you are. By agreeing with Jesus that you are wretched and blind and poor and naked and miserable. By agreeing with Jesus that your sins are now forgiven because you have repented and you have earnestly sought him and you have been walking under his conviction and instruction and you finally have come out and you've said, okay, I want to hear his voice. Most of you will not ever hear the voice of Jesus because you're too far away from him and you're too filled with your own wretchedness, your own sickness, your own sorrows, your own struggles, your own your stuff. All of that has to go to the cross. But he's saying, if, you, if you'll do this, he says, the one overcoming, I will give to him to sit with me on my throne. Overcoming has very, right in the, in the heart of the word, it has opposition. The devil is going to oppose you at every point. He's going to say, oh, you're not wretched. You're not miserable. You've got it together. You're good to go. Jesus loves you unconditionally. You're okay. No, you're not. None of us are. I'm not. You're not. It is my intention, by the blood of Jesus Christ, to entirely overcome, to be entirely sanctified, to be entirely made holy with the old man of sin, according to Romans 6, destroyed, killed, put to death. No longer to struggle in me. Will I be tempted? Yes, but not by the old man in my heart. He's gone. I'm a new creature in Christ. Please, may I say this to you? We have no modern conception of what Jesus wants to do in us and for us. When we look in the scriptures, we find that the Apostle Paul had great understanding about this. Read the book of Ephesians. Peter, read First and Second Peter. These men understood the glory of the cross of Jesus. And they were utterly, totally given to Jesus. They held nothing back from him. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of their mouth. Now that must happen again at the end of time, according to Revelation. We want to sit with him on his throne. We want to overcome and sit down. As the as the son overcame the devil and sat down on the Father's throne with him. He's inviting us to sit with him on the throne of God for eternity. But as I open this broadcast by saying, every man dies basically the same way. The question is, what are you going to do? Will you humble your heart before God and admit your true condition before him? Or will you be defensive and say, Pastor, that's not who I am. I have reasons for, for why I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Really? That's not what the scriptures say. I know what it is to be exhausted and worn and weary. And I have often felt that. And I know why, because I've poured my heart out in ministry and I've not seen the result that the scriptures promise. You will do the same things Jesus did and even greater things than these. And that has so exhausted me. It's caused me at times to feel hopeless and helpless and naked and miserable and blind and naked. It requires asking the Lord to bring deep conviction 
and to instruct us in the way of the cross. It means you're going to have to turn off all of the world and the flesh and the devil. It means you're going to have to spend full time seeking after Jesus. And when you go to that J-O-B, you're going to go there recognizing you are not going for money. That requires deep confession of your sin, the love of money. Oh, I'm just being responsible, Pastor. Well, you're being responsible to the slave system of which you're a part. You're not being responsible to Jesus Christ. To be responsible to Jesus Christ, it's to do what Jesus did and then do even greater things. So, my brother, my sister, I'm not going to fight with you about this, but I am going to say, please, in the name of Jesus, drop your defensiveness, your denials. And pray for deep conviction that he will change who you are and that he will instruct you in the way of righteousness. I hope this has been helpful to you today. I hope this has been straight up honest truth for your heart. Now, I want to say something to you, please. Would you pray with me about the need for this broadcast, this confrontation with sin, for this call to holiness to go across America? I don't say that out of a desire to be somebody. I know I'm not somebody and never will be anybody but a servant of Jesus, and that's all I want to be. But I want to tell you, my heart is crying for America. I see the the spouts, the the floods of wickedness and foolishness covering our nation, even Disney World and other places where they have become totally woke, totally evil, our government corrupt, our churches filled with entertainment and and every wicked thing. Somewhere there has to be a standard of righteousness lifted up with Jesus on the cross for America. Would you pray for us about that? You're welcome to call me if you'd like to talk about that. My phone number is 703-489-1785. Don't call me and argue with me, or I'll just say, no, thank you, bye. I'm not here to argue. I'm here to raise up a standard of righteousness in this nation. Right now, it's in Washington, D.C. And by the way, we're still far short of our goal to pay for this month's radio, and I need to hear from you. Thank you, Chris and many others who have reached out with your gifts. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, 